0: keeping the thin line of like, we need to succeed, but not too much. Cause if it succeeds too much, the cartel won't be able to use it anymore. Um, so, so it's like, so she's handling a lot. Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm
1: Jackson Nikolai. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for the beginning of another season. Woohoo! Wow, yeah, yes, indeed. We are back from our summer hiatus. It's exciting. We're excited to be back. We were excited to have a break. And we're looking forward to, I, I think, what's going to be a really awesome season of scripts. They always are. But uh, on the front end of a season, when all we've got in front of us is just a list of titles, that's like, that's a very exciting place to be to know that there are, uh, you know, so, however many conversations in front of us. And uh, yeah. one today.
0: Yeah, for sure, yeah, I'm excited for this season, excited for the season for a lot of reasons, uh, yeah, the scripts coming up, the different elements of the seasons that have become hallmarks, special guest episodes, themed seasons, we have a couple new fun riffs, we're here in season 11, and we're trying to keep things alive and changing and all the things, so excited to kind of share some new uh, sorts of content with you, but don't worry, we're still having this unscripted conversation, all that, we'll just kind of be riffing on the theme a little bit, and I'm excited for that, and excited today to be returning Turning to a tradition of the podcast, um, which is talking about a Lynn Nottage play to kick off the season.
1: Absolutely. Uh, if you've been around for a long time on NoScript, or or if you have gone back to sort of look at the episodes that are already published, you'll know that for the first however long, four or five seasons, the way that we would begin the season is by discussing a play by Lynn Nottage. It was kind of our season opener tradition. Lynn Nottage is, in terms of her influence and her skill and her voice, truly, truly wonderful. Uh, one of if not the best living playwright a hugely influential voice in the American theater and we felt really that we we felt that it was really important that those beginning of the seasons not only did they like have a tradition associated but they had something to them that made us feel like we were part of what is happening now in American drama and not just that we were going to do Arthur Miller or Eugene O'Neill as the opening, you know, thing right. for every season, which would be great. Those are great playwrights and a lot of great plays, but they're long dead, and we wanted to be, you know, <laughs> in, involved in the conversation of now. And so I thought Lynn Nottage was the easy and obvious choice for that. The truth is, though, not that we ran out of Lynn Nottage plays, there are still many more that we haven't talked about, but that we were looking for a sort of change in ritual, and so we tried something new that was in the same vein, we talked about a lot of the sort of recent Pulitzers. Um, and so we did that for a while. We probably will go back and forth to try that or other things. But for this season, Lynn Nottage has uh, a play that was just on Broadway that is uh, tremendous. It's a follow-up. It had some really Interesting stuff in connection with those early parts of our season that we will talk about. So it felt like a cool revisit to our early tradition to spend our first episode of season 11 discussing her newish play, Clyde
0: yeah yeah newish play is about right couple years old I'm excited to get to talk about it you probably started to see theaters near you um doing this play um so it's an exciting play for that reason because uh you'll likely have a chance to go and see it um and uh, I will likely <laughs> have a chance to go and see it I'll talk about that a little bit in the in the context Ooh. section but yeah a uh, fun play to get to jump back in again uh for this kind of fresh start into season 11 returning to our uh older traditions of of getting to uh, yeah, talk about a Nottage play.
1: Yeah, and I also, I'll say I'll give away a little bit just now before we do all of our regular stuff that this play has, it, it is a sort of um, extension of Lynn Nottage's play Sweat. We'll talk about why that is and how that works and all that stuff as we get into the conversation. Maybe you already know out there, but it is very much an extension of Sweat, a sequel to Sweat, something along those lines. It came out of the same research that she was doing in Reading, Pennsylvania. Reading has a really interesting um, town history that relates to why this play specifically fought. I mean, it's just, to me, it is fascinating. It's one of the ways, one of the reasons I love Lynn Nottage is her, her sort of integrative, immersive artist style. All that to say, though, Sweat was the first play we talked about on No Script Season one, episode one, is Sweat. So we've just begun season 11, which is like the season one of the <laughs> second set of ten seasons, right? We just finished season ten, that was ten. Now we're sort of in season one again, season eleven, two ones. And so I, I just thought it was cool to to connect this play literally to do the follow-up play in season or in episode one of season 11 that we did in episode one of season one.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's great numerical symmetry for those of you who are the uh, red <laughs> red thread types go ahead and start connecting those dots on your on your, on your walls of the seasons of no scripts. But uh but yeah, that's um, uh, it's it is cool to kind of like think of the yeah, think of uh, uh starting with sweat and now we're kind of returning at least to that timeline um uh in in today's play as well.
1: And if you like that kind of numerical symmetry or <laughs> other thematic and uh, programming choices we make if you are a person that enjoys no script we are going to ask you for the first time in season 11 to consider heading over to our patreon page patreon.com slash no script podcast all one word no hyphens no underscores patreon.com slash no script podcast over there you can become a supporter of the show it's as easy as setting up a monthly one of the monthly tiers Uh, we have the The lowest tier is a dollar a month. It's remained a dollar a month through 11 seasons, is our lowest tier, $12 over the course of a year. Even that level is hugely helpful to us. Jackson and I love to do this show. We wouldn't have done it this long if we didn't like it, if we didn't enjoy it, if it wasn't something that fills our life with something that we want and need. But doing it is uh, financially consequential. In that it costs money and that Jackson and I don't have just the disposable income to make that happen on our own, let alone the time that it takes out of doing things like jobs where we could be making money. So it it is a uh, financial negative for us to do no script, and that would be not possible for us to sustain without our supporters. Pure and simple, that's how it is. We couldn't make it happen without the folks that are supporting us on Patreon. If that's you over there, thank you, huge thank you for choosing to do that for choosing to support us in that way. You make the podcast happen, period. Um, And if that's not you yet, if you're not a supporter yet, please just consider it. Go over to the Patreon page, check it out. There are rewards that you can see. Of course, that's how Patreon works. Um, You know, for us, I think the big thing that we really feel is that the, the folks that are choosing to do that can feel like, they make the show able to happen. Uh, We try to say that every episode. There is a tier at which we love to give you name recognition on the podcast. Shout out a thank you. We're delighted to have one of those to do today. So to Liliana Hogan, I hope I've said your name correctly. Thank you so much for choosing to become a patron at that level. Your support is awesome. It's so great to have those. We get to do those a couple of times a season, and everyone just makes us feel great about the supporters that are out there that choose to do that. So, Liliana, thank you for that. I hope that this episode where your name is dropped in is one that you like, I guess, (laughs) and that uh, you should because Clyde's is an awesome script. So uh, this is a good one to do, I think. And you'll always know, Season 11, Episode 1, that's easy to find. So, There you go. Thank you, Liliana. Appreciate your support. And to all the supporters over on Patreon, big thank you. And now, back to the script.
0: Here we go, jumping into the script. Um, I'm gonna just give us a little bit of brief context uh, as we jump into this conversation. Um, I'm I'm not gonna contextualize a bunch of Lynn Nottage today because, as we've said, we've done that kind of a lot on the show. But just I, I do want brief...
1: can I can I do a brief thing about Lynn Nottage? That's cool. For that sure. I just learned uh, what because I, I was I've been consuming Lynn Nottage interviews over the past couple of days in preparation. I maybe we've said this before and I've just forgotten. Maybe I'm foolish enough that I I should have already know this and everybody out there does. Lynn Nottage has, uh, amongst all the other crazy cool things about her, two c- cool that I discovered. and they both are similar. She is the first black person to have two plays on Broadway running simultaneously. I mean, whoa, as far as I could tell, in the interview they said like that that's as far as we can tell right now. I mean we haven't found. It, so that's very cool. But what is also for sure, she is the first woman in American history to have won the Pulitzer Prize twice. I mean, men have done that. And because of the gender oppression and imbalance in our theater system, she is the first and only at this point woman to have won it twice. I mean, whoa, that is awesome. Lynn Nottage is so cool
0: for sure. Yeah, yeah, no those are two uh big accolades for for uh notage and for for her 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 work. Um uh the the plays that we've covered on the show before sweat intimate apparel there's there's many many others of her plays. I believe the uh the list that I'm looking at is something like I don't know 20 in the 20s for sure. Um uh different sorts of works that she has has uh has written. Um, there's also uh, interestingly for the conversation today. She is kind of uh, co-conceived and worked on this project called "This Is Reading," um, which is uh, kind of a multi, yeah, multimedia uh, sort of presentation about reading Pennsylvania. Um, so it's it's uh, there's there's a site that you can go and look about that, which is super cool. Um, I, I didn't spend much time on it today, but I spent a little bit of time on it. Um, and yeah, she uh, it's said all that connected the "This it. Is
1: Reading" play was performed in. Like an abandoned train station in the middle of Reading. The train station relates to what I'll do when when I get to the synopsis about how this play came about. But this has become, she describes it, a sort of cycle of plays from the Reading research. Uh, uh, Sweat, of course, which is the Pulitzer Prize winner, big time. Uh, And then the This Is Reading project is the second one. And then Clyde's is the follow up.
0: Yeah, so so a lot of like kind of uh, work and focus around uh, this particular town, these particular peoples, real good. Specificity of place <laughs> in 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 a lot of these kind of plays and and focus on that so exciting to get to kind of jump back into that timeline today because um, Clyde's uh, so Clyde's is a play uh, written by Lynn Nottage it opened on Broadway in November of uh, November of twenty twenty one and closed in January twenty twenty two so a couple month run at the Hayes Theater there um, and that that production was nominated for a bunch of awards um, it was nominated for Tonys it was nominated for Drama League awards it Won the outstanding direction of a play. Uh, Kate Worski
1: was the uh, director of the play. Um, Long time collaborator the- of Lynn Nottage. She's directed a lot of Lynn Nottage's stuff. They do a lot of the interviews together. They have like a 20 year partnership. Really cool. It's the kind of artistic partner that you always look for. And I guess so what? We've been doing No Scripts Sense with like five years now. So, hey, we're a quarter, so, yeah. quarter of the way there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, no. So, so lots of award drama: Desk, Tony Awards, Drama League Awards, Outer Critics Circle. Um, uh, all, all of these. I was nominated for Tonys. I think five Tonys is what I'm looking at here. Four Tonys. Um, so, uh, what well lauded play? Um, it then kind of proceeded, uh, to be done by, uh, let's see, uh, the Goodman Theater uh, did a production of it. Uh, the, uh, sh- kind of paging, <laughs> paging through my notes here. Um, the uh, Center Theater Group out in Los Angeles did a production of it. Um, it's kind of slated for a UK premiere in October of this year. Um, uh, and also the, just, just down the road in my kind of regional house up here in Michigan, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, it's it's coming to a, a, a theater there as well. So I might have the chance to go and see it. Um, so kind of you're start, we're starting Boy, to see the kind better, of rollout. You
1: better go. I'm gonna. To <laughs> <it>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So we're starting to see the kind of rollout of this play into regional houses and 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 all and and kind of the extension of that on out. Um uh, the other thing of note is something we kind of uh uh hinted not hinted at, just told you already. Um but the connection to the play Sweat um there's there's a a, a main character from Sweat in uh in Clydes. Uh, and that's the the role of Jason. We'll get to learn a little bit more about Jason in the synopsis, but it definitely continues Jason's story where it's pretty much where it's left off. Um uh in in Sweat. Uh like if 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 you know Sweat, if you listen to our conversations or had the ch- chance to see it or read it, you know the last scene is a is a powerhouse of a scene around uh Jason's loss of control one night as he's uh kind of fighting or ch- seeking to resist the takeover of the factory and the loss of his job, he ends up badly wounding uh another uh member of his circle of people. So um that that is kind of brought to bear a little bit in this play. He kind of confesses some of that, which is just a great connection a, a great sort of like um kind of continuation and uh um we, we were debating before the show whether it constituted like a synopsis style or easter egg style but certainly if you know the if you know the story of sweat um it's a nice uh, extra bit of information as you engage this play this kind of continuation of the story of these people in this town
1: yeah, I, I was telling Jackson before we started recording that I was teaching drama lit this last semester at the university, and it we did we taught sweat, and so it was a great it was great to have just not only like read it recently, but have like done several class discussions on it, presentations, all the kind of stuff that you do when you teach play, and so I felt really prepared to come in, I, and I didn't know before because Clyde's is so new, I didn't have like a, a whole built up you know, preconceived notions about it before picking up the script. So I didn't even really know that Jason was going to be in it. And then he walked onto the stage and I was like, what? <laughs> Wait a That's, minute. This, 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 this is that guy. And he's all, oh, cool. Follow <laughs> yeah. yeah, Very, very yeah.
0: fun. The other thing I, I wanted to jump, I, I almost forgot to to kind of bring this up. The other cool thing about this play was that they decided, the second stage theater uh, production decided to simulcast the 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 play out in like a streaming uh a, or have the ability to stream the production of the play. Um and they did that for a number of reasons uh a to be sure that you know enough people could still see the play. Again this was in 20 uh 20, 2021 to 2022 a lot of and, people were and still kind of In fact
1: re- this play was slotted to be on Broadway When the pandemic hit. So this is one of those plays that was sort of delayed in its life because of the pandemic. It was supposed to be on stage in 2020 and of course didn't. And it was one of the first plays back. And actually a lot of the interviews with Lynn Nott she's in a mask. And so it's like, oh, this is from that time.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it was a a to try to uh, allow a little bit more access to it for folks to who are maybe still leery of going to a theater to see a show. Um, but also they wanted to be sure that the kind of access to this show was as broad as possible, including to people who uh, were incarcerated at the time. Um, they wanted to be sure that this uh, this this play, which has a lot to do with kind of holding the story of folks who have been incarcerated and their ongoing uh, fight and struggle to overcome that. Um, they wanted to be sure that this, uh, play was able to be viewed by, by folks who, who, for whom that story would land closest to home. So, um, a neat part about, uh, the story of this, especially in the evolving world of theater that we are in post COVID and its ability to still try to, uh, uh, include as many people as possible in the, in the experience of the play.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it is a play that is in some ways about uh, like hope and optimism, uh, community revitalization, um, a, a choice to go forward in life. And Lynn Nottage, of course, because she is uh, truly a genius, is able to make that connection – In a lot of her interviews, she discusses, you know, I didn't write this play with COVID in mind, but I wrote it and then COVID happened and we needed not... This is a story about community revitalization for the formerly incarcerated, but now we are all in need of community revitalization. We all are coming out of something into something else and suddenly the play has resonance. But all that is for uh, shortly to come. So... uh, Clyde's is about a truck stop, diner, a sandwich shop. It is the kitchen of a sandwich shop, is the set. Everyone who works at this sandwich shop, including the owner, Clyde, are all formerly incarcerated people. This is a place that formerly incarcerated people come to get back on their feet to get a job. Uh, as we all know, it, when you're doing job applications, if you're a person who has been incarcerated, that, it is a brick wall. And you have to check a box that says I've been incarcerated or not, I'm a felon or not, and it is a brick wall to to access to jobs. And so this is a play that comes out of that reality. Uh, there are people who have incredible training and skill and incredible personalities and 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 could you know be hugely influential and and contribute to a number of different industries that just don't have access to those jobs because they have been incarcerated and so this is a story about a place that attempts to offer a job to formerly incarcerated people. Now you would think that that kind of a place would be like a healing uh, environment where you know the person running it like deeply cares and you know is trying to help but actually Clyde is something of a monster. Uh, she is in her 40s, and uh, the the phrase that Lynn Nottage used is a significantly wicked person, is <laughs> the description of Clyde, uh, that that Clyde wants to offer this chance to formerly incarcerated people. Again, Clyde uh, had spent time in, in the incarceration system herself, but that she, her f- sort of flaw as a human is that then she takes advantage of the fact that these folks can't, work anywhere else, that this is really their last chance. And so she mistreats them in a number of different ways throughout the play, deliberately attempts to make their lives harder and more difficult. Um, And maybe we'll talk about why, maybe we won't. Um, We'll see what kind of time we have. That's an unscripted conversation for you. (laughs) <laughs> the thing to know about the continuation of this play from Sweat uh, is, as Jackson said, the character of Jason. Jason is one of the two young men that beat somebody up in Sweat. Jason then goes to prison Um, And In Sweat is set, if you remember, in two different time periods, the time period where the action was happening and then the future where Jason and Chris are looking back at what they did after having been released from prison. At that time, you see Jason has received a number of different white power Nazi tattoos in prison um, on his face and arms. And so this play deals to some degree with that. He now lives with these tattoos and we learn in Clyde's that he got them not because he is... In particular, a racist, uh, but because the prison system is so violent and brutal and dangerous that getting face tattoos was a way to keep himself alive and unharmed inside the prison industrial complex. And so that's at least how he tells the story in this play. Um, it, it the writing of this play flowed out of the writing of Sweat because – this is a, the fascinating story I've been hinting at. Reading, Pennsylvania, because it was part of the Rust Belt, was a place where the story goes you could get off of a bus and by the end of the day have an incredibly good-paying job at a factory with benefits, with time off, with all the things that you want. This, of course, was a long time ago now before uh, the, the, the sort of falling apart of uh, you know a factory industry of steel work and all that such stuff in America. Um, And because it was so easy to get such a great paying job and set yourself up for a great life, again, that's what sweat is about, right? All these people have a a really solid financial support system before these factories start to shut them out in favor of lower paid workers. Um, Because you could get that kind of job in Reading, prison systems, when they would let people out, would put them on the bus to Reading because you could get off the bus even as a formerly incarcerated person and get a great job. And so places like Reading were filled with formerly incarcerated people, but then of course in the post-industrial age, the Reading no longer has those kinds of jobs, but the system is still churning people out into Reading. And so Lynn Nottage talks about – she went into that – if you remember back for our conversation from Sweat, she went in thinking she was going to write a play, uh, sort of Mother Courage. That was her plan when she was in – when she was doing it – Ruined in Africa, so she went into to Reading, not to write *A Mother Courage*, but with a sort of sense of what she was going to write, totally changed by the people she met when she was in Reading. And so, out of that came *Sweat*, but also out of that, because she met so many formerly incarcerated people, comes this play *Clydes*. And it is about that. It's about um, people in the the sort of central metaphor of the play is like a purgatory, metaphor. Uh, 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 metaphor, a sort of uh, stuck liminal space kind of metaphor, and that is where we meet the folks who work at Clyde's, the diner that is becoming famous for its sandwiches when we meet, when we start the play, and it is becoming famous for its sandwiches because of Montrellis, who is a sandwich genius, a sandwich uh, savant. Uh, he he is he is he makes them from the depths of his love and soul and passion. The sandwiches he makes are as much uh, art as they are food. They are incredible pieces of culinary work and he is training the folks that work with him in the kitchen to sort of use the way that they make food Uh, this is a more subtle feature I'm not sure he would have said this out loud but I think it's clearly true as a meditative practice as a way to sort of rethink your life the care the patience the artfulness that goes into constructing food for someone else that's Montrellis runs the kitchen you can see how he would be in conflict with a person like Clyde who who is barely scraping by who is mean by nature it sort of seems although the, the word mean gets negotiated throughout the play and who is apparently in debt to like uh to, to to like the cartel uh who has you know is funneling money through her truck stop but the truck stop has begun to get some notoriety because the sandwiches montrellis and his teammates are so good The team that we meet, although we get a sense that there are other people that we haven't met, are made up of uh, Raphael, Letitia, and then, of course, this is a stranger comes to town kind of story. This is a uh, use the new person to help do some of the explanation, uh, expository stuff at the beginning, Jason Jason of Sweat comes in. He's the new guy uh, and he's the one who's being sort of taught all this. He has skepticism of Montrellis at the beginning of the play, which apparently everybody else had and then they are slowly won over across the course of the play. The play all takes place in the kitchen. They do a whole lot of cooking throughout the play. It was fascinating to hear the director talk about the challenge of a play that is this proppy, this specific, this like every action has to be negotiated and fit just right into the action of the play because they're prepping and cooking food and sandwiches in a you know diner kitchen throughout the course of the play. Some of the major events that happens, of course, is Jason's introduction, his being sort of taught to make sandwiches in the way that Montrellis likes to make sandwiches. Um, Letitia has a daughter who has a sort of severe physical disability that she is working to find care for throughout the course of the play. She has an unreliable ex who does not do a good job caring for the daughter. Um, Raphael and Letitia have a sort of on-again-off-again romantic Sort of relationship that, you know, slowly sort of heats up across the course of the play and then falls apart when Letitia doesn't show up for a date because her unreliable ex got her a cake for her birthday um there's that kind of stuff throughout the course of the play Uh, the 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 major sort of conflict that ends up coming to a head at the end of the play is sort of Clyde's uh practicality get the sandwich made feed people whatever I don't care about all these fancy ingredients um and Metrellis's sort of attitude of love and care and patience the end of the play the big conflict is that he won't put Pickle relish on a specific sandwich that's been set up throughout the course of the play. Clyde demands that he does it, and sort of one by one, the people in the kitchen side with Montrellis. And then they all exit the kitchen at the end of the play and leave behind a sandwich, which they all add one ingredient to, something that has become sort of their signature thing throughout the course of the play. And the sandwich is left behind. Clyde has refused to try a sandwich one of Montrellis' sandwiches across the course of the play and finally at the end it looks like she's gonna take a bite. Um, But that exit at the end of the play is crucial because again, there's the central, I think it's a fairly subtle metaphor but well done, is this purgatory metaphor. Clyde may be the devil in this purgatory metaphor. It's a little like, that's kind of brought up. She like sets things on fire across the course of the play Uh, and, and Montrellis sort of leading them out back into the world is a fairly major action. It's not just the exit that ends the play, but it's the exit that starts the next chapter of their lives, it seems to be. All of these folks, you know, are learning from Matrellis in hopes of being chefs or sous chefs uh, in, in their next part of their career because uh, that's their hope on where they can actually get a job. Um, I don't know, Jackson, have I missed any of the sort of – you know, it's an ensemble. It's not a plot show. It's a character-based. It's a comedy. It's, it's it really interpersonal. It's got realism and comedy and supernaturalism all mixed together in that Lynn Nottage is a genius kind of way
0: yeah yeah absolutely it's it, it, it defies often defies your ability to like pick an antagonist or pick a protagonist like it's it's a lot of these people's stories all kind of shoved into this yeah into this purgatory into this limbo space I think is, what is uh, it's referred to a couple times in the script as of like this this space in between um this kind of transitionary area for these characters and as such like the the stories that they bring to bear into it kind of float through sort of quickly um uh there's there's significant windows into their lives that they they go really deep really fast because of the nature of their work because of how close they all work to each other uh, a piece of the realism that i really like about this play yeah the prop work is great and and the kind of specific calls that but for anyone who has worked in a kitchen before (laughs) or in food industry before um the the sort of like conversations that they have, but like just, you go very deep, very fast. And then all of a sudden you have to get an order ready. Um, it's just, it's just really, really well done in terms of like showing the realism of that situation for these characters as they have to work in a high stress environment with each other somehow and share this time, even though they have so much that they're bringing from their world outside of this place into, into the, the action of the play.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that sort of, um, let's call it like the everyday obstacle of uh, we have to get this sandwich prepared and out the window in a timely manner uh, is, you know, one of the obstacles facing these people. And then they all have the sort of outside the kitchen obstacles of their their status as a formerly incarcerated person, their unique challenges and personalities, their unique relationships. Jason, of course, is facing the, the the kind of real world consequence of walking around with white power tattoos on your face from his time as an incarcerated person, which is a, you know, brilliant metaphor for the kind of way that you are branded as a person coming out of the incarceration. System. It is, uh, and so it's. Uh, the play is to some degree about people. It's it's a sort of empathy window, right? Into like, look at the obstacles in front of this particular group of people, and see if your heart does not grow. Um, the, the in one of the interviews, I can't remember whether it was Lynn Nottage or if it was the director talked about how. Um, theater is in some ways a sort of safe space because in our society, we, you know, we want We want to feel safety, and so out in the world, it's easy to feel one way about the penal system, a sort of crime and punishment system. But when you're brought into a theater, you can be offered a personality, a human heart, a soul that you fall in love with over the course of a show. And then the question becomes, how does that change your sense of the world? How does this empathetic portrait of the obstacles faced by this particular group of people, not this broad swath of human of formally card but these 5 people uh, you know how does your how does your heart change how does your politics change how does your sense of the world change
0: yeah. After having spent an hour, hour and a half uh, with these people, I, I don't think I mentioned in the or I don't think we mentioned yet that it's kind of just a one like there's no act break necessarily called for Um, that. You could take one if you wanted to, but there isn't one necessarily called for. So it is just kind of like you hang out with these people for an hour and a half and you get to share in their story, hear about their obstacles. And, and, and yeah, that, that exercise and empathy is really important. I think the other the other obstacle that makes it also a comedy is Clyde. <laughs> Who, uh, like, yes, they're 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 bringing they're bringing these real world obstacles that they're trying to face and overcome, and also they have to deal with Clyde. <laughs> <laughs> who, who just like really tries often to, to make it hard for them and Clyde, it's interesting because Clyde can be read as, a, as another character worthy of empathy, you you hear a lot about her story, or not a lot actually a little bit about her story um and how she has managed to overcome some things and make the alliances that she needed in order to run this place and have it be what it needs to be for these people while also like keeping the thin line of like we need to succeed but not too much because if it succeeds too much, car cartel won't be able to use it anymore um so so it's like so she's handling a lot and she is also this um uh comedically um villainous (laughs) and abrasive character to the other characters in in the script that leads to a lot of comedy a lot of um uh, negotiating with Clyde as an obstacle to their just being able to do their jobs (laughs) in this space
1: there's a great stage direction in the play. She is unpacking uh, you know, all the supplies, the food and such that she's bought at the store. And the, the stage direction, I, I don't have it specifically in front of me, but it's something to the effect of like Clyde delights in making their jobs harder by yeah. you know, having to move throughout this crowded kitchen and put stuff away.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I liked what you said, too, about the possibility of like a little bit more of a magical analogy going on in this, because there are some like magical things, especially around uh, cl- uh, around Clyde. Clyde has a lot of fire effects. There are multiple moments when she either like sets the sandwich on fire or yeah, I'd love to. Like,
1: I'd love to look at the one from the end of the first scene. So yeah, the first scene it. is Montrellis apparently having just told her his life story. His life story and learning it becomes a kind of a question and a device throughout the play. So I, it's fascinating. I think when you reread it that you realize he's told it to Clyde at the beginning and she sort of fluffed it off. But then the rest of the characters are hugely impacted by it at the end of the play. It's a really nice setup and payoff later. Uh, but at the end of the scene, Montrellis then has sort of tried to convince her about the quality of the sandwiches and the ingredients, and she's kind of gone after him about that. It's a really nice introduction to the two competing figures in the play. The sort of peaceful, calm, kind, meditative Montrellis and the the practical, energetic, aggressive Clyde. But then at the end of this scene about the sandwich, uh, there is this stage direction. They're talking about it. I'm not going to do Clyde says, I'm not going to do this little tango with you. Montrellis, is that what you see? He eases the sandwich even closer to her. It appears to to glow. That happens several times throughout the play. The sandwiches appear to glow. Then uh, that Clyde walks away and it says, as she leaves, Clyde extinguishes her cigarette in the sandwich, which spontaneously bursts into enormous flames. Yup. <laughs> and that is not the last time that something like that happens throughout this play. It's not. The last
0: time, very similarly, Clyde is alone on stage, again tempted to eat the sandwich and and the last the last parting like stage directions of the play is as Clyde raises the sandwich to her mouth, a devilish smile creeps across her face and in a flash fire surrounds her. Um, so it's it's got this like definitely here's, here's got even this, more. Like,
1: uh, there's a yeah. question some point in the play of did Clyde, quote, sell her soul? To get this joint. Mm. Right? Later, Jason says she might actually be the devil. Mm. (laughs) A lot of fire imagery and language around our friend Clyde.
0: Yep, yep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so it's it's a great play for that sort of liminality of yes, these are these are the to some degree at least uh, by the account of these characters, they are all real people with with real backstories that are all navigating a really hard moment in their lives and kind of bouncing off of each other. And there's also this other element, especially with those the kind of fiery stuff that we just talked about and the leaving of the space scene that happens when Mon- when Tri- kind of helps them all to leave in a distinct manner from how they've left before somehow um uh the the script kind of calls for that that is this kind of question of you know what like this is it it evokes a sense of what if these characters are in limbo and are trying to find a way out and through the their time together they have navigated a way out despite Clyde's best efforts to to kind of keep them hopeless in this space
1: yeah, well, and that, that purgatory metaphor works for the play, of course, and that it's a broader statement on the nature of coming out of the prison industrial complex and the kind of purgatory of your life being stagnant, and then the, the the opportunity Lynn Nottage presents for these folks to walk away. You know, the the old adage in theater is if it's a tragedy, it ends with a murder, and if it's a comedy, it ends with a wedding. And while this play doesn't end with a wedding, of course, this play ends. Happy. This is. A, I mean, to, to, for all intents and purposes, this is a happy ending to the play. It is a joyful for these people to walk away from Clydes because, assuming that your design team and your direct team, your act team, has told the the kind of supernatural metaphor part of the story right, they're they're exiting a space of stuckness to move forward and 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 make their lives better um and so that that's the wedding at the end of this comedy although there are moments of incredible drama and levity within it
0: yeah and and for all of them they they have like can, kind of significantly been on a journey i don't know exactly the time parameters of this play but like they've been on significant arcs <laughs> as a result of it you know you have uh uh rafael some of Latic- them less so <laughs> It's true. It's true. Montrellis kind of remains the sage. Um, but uh but uh like La- La- Raphael and Letitia end up like expressing some pretty deep feelings for each other. Um uh there's this great man, just a perfectly <laughs> perfectly done scene where uh so so there's this there's this kind of significant Raphael is is basically head over heels for Letitia throughout the play, and he finally like seems to like get her agreement to go on a date with him on her birthday but she either thinks it's a joke or doesn't quite trust him or something and 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 stands him up ghosts him um and so he comes back the next day um and and he uh kind of brings the chocolate and the stuffed animal that uh that he was going to give her he confesses that he en- actually ended up ha- like relapsing as a result of it and as a result of this sort of uh uh uh, confession of his and and the uh, trust that is built between them. Letitia like hugs him and kisses him, and the scene ends with Raphael going, "I love you," <laughs> and Jason going, "Oh no 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 no, <laughs> I can't do this. We're not doing. We're not doing this." <laughs> <laughs> and, and you kind of get the sense that these characters have gone yeah. on this like big journey together um, in, in the in the in the catalyst of this this uh, uh, restaurant together and that they they've they've made some significant changes throughout the course of the play to their life together, but also the way that they're choosing to interact with the world
1: yeah. and and it's it's it there's all it's all wrapped up in this other metaphor of the play, which is the sandwich metaphor, which is yeah. set up in the very beginning of the play. And this is something you probably don't catch unless you come back to it. Uh, Jason, the first sandwich he makes is this specific kind of sandwich. I, For some reason, I only wrote down the acronym, so I'd have to look up the specific name of the sandwich. But regardless, it's like the famous sandwich for this restaurant. It's the one that gets written up in the newspaper, which happens in the middle of the play. He's making it for the first time. He's doing a terrible job, and he puts pickle relish on it, which is a big no-no. And Letitia goes after him about it. He's, of course, at this point still pretty combative, resistant to the kind of sandwich-as-meditation practice that Montrellis is teaching them. Doesn't care about all this, but Letitia kind of forces him to do it the right way and is very clear, no pickle relish on this sandwich. Then a whole play goes by, all these arcs that Jackson's discussing, and in the final confrontation, I think I already talked about it in the synopsis, the final confrontation is that a customer who is one of the investors, now... I think that investors is a cover up, but right. let's just say investors that Clyde has here to uh, uh, check out the sandwich shop orders pickle relish on this sandwich. And it is a huge affront to Montrellis' sort of sense of harmony and everything being in the right order and constructed to to balance and match and create an experience and a story. And so he refuses to do it. Everybody else refuses to do it too. But it's the same sandwich and the same ingredient and so setting that up from beginning to end that jason then at the end sides with montrellis over clyde even though i mean i think jason throughout the play is really the one pulled between those two kind of worldviews the sort of clyde world if we're using the sandwich metaphor slap cheese on wonder bread is something she says at one point yeah who gives a crap <laughs> You know, just, just make the crappiest sandwich you can get away with and let's just move on with our lives. Nobody cares about this. The world doesn't care about this. The world doesn't care about you. That is maybe Jason's natural inclination at the beginning of the play. And then through being in this kitchen with Montrellis, learns the practice of construction, putting things together in harmony, community rebuilding through food and at the you know the climax of the play then if you're reading it this way in my interpretation would be Jason deciding who he's going to be and then of course the whole kitchen walks out with Mantralis but i do think that it is the jason story that is the big question
0: yeah, with 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 Montrellis and and Clyde as the two kind of avatars of the two ways of life. If, if you're if you're kind of in that in that uh, in that analogy, you have you have the disciples already of like of Raphael and Letitia who are very much on Montrellis' side. They're scared of Clyde, um, but they they are they are Montrellis' disciples. Um, and the kind of question of the stranger comes. And they're to town trying
1: as, to like construct the perfect sandwich yeah, throughout yeah. the play.
0: Yeah, and interestingly, that whole last. Push of the play. There's a lot of scenes in this play. There's a lot of kind of breaks in the, not in the action, but like you change, you change times frequently in the play. That last scene is a pretty, I believe I'd have to double check to be sure, but there's, there's, it's a pretty straight line from Jason trying to make a sandwich because everyone else so far has been like, kind of either making a sandwich for everyone to taste or like pitching out these ideas of awesome sandwiches and Jason's pitches are like Philly cheesesteak um everyone else's is like roasted duck with a blueberry marmalade etc um and um and finally in this last kind of ending scene, uh he's a framed the review for Montrellis, the review that Montrellis brings in about the the uh, the restaurant getting more and more cred um from from reviewers and things like that. But also he's made a sandwich for Montrellis to taste. Um and so he kind of goes on this 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 uh or this this final scene goes from him finally jumping on board trying to make a sandwich, jumping on board the idea of Munchellis that they could make this place into something great. Um, and then eventually choosing to side with him on the relish issue, (laughs) um, and standing up to Clyde, uh, with, 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 with whatever he has available to him to stand up to Clyde.
1: Yeah. It's a little, uh, the way the script is broken up, that's like the, the scene with the making the sandwich and the, the, uh, um, the framed review is like the, the scene break before the end of the play, but it does, the time flows so smoothly that I think those could be, and maybe even are supposed to be, on the same day because between it's scene 12 and scene 13 in this play, there's this sort of heightened reconstruction of the kitchen after all the emotional turmoil of the Raphael and Letitia stuff that goes on, and then they go into this other sort of device that's used several times throughout the play, where as you describe, the people in this the kitchen all sort of imagine a sandwich and it's just in words. They just tell the ingredients and then the kind of the rest of the kitchen comments on, uh, you know, typically the brilliance of what, what has been described. Jason has been doing a bad job at this game throughout the course of the play. And then in the final scene is able to offer something wonderful. The other thing that happens in the final scene, which is one of the things to me that is, um, interesting about the play is, is Montrellis finally tells his story to the rest of the people in the kitchen. Again, we believe he's told it to Clyde at the beginning of the play and she sort of rejected. It's kind of heartwarming nature or in some ways, a terrible nature also. Um, he finally tells it to the to the group at the end of the play. Basically, his story is that his brother was, uh, you know, like a sort of genius, and one of his friends uh, tricked him into being a mule for drugs, and his brother got caught right before he was about to go to Yale Medical School, and uh, Mentrellis. Who who has felt like a screw up kind of his whole life uh, saw his opportunity to do something meaningful. Chose to take the fall for his brother, and he was the one who ended up going to prison. So his brother could go to medical school, and now his brother is a surgeon in Africa, do you know pediatric surgeon? It's it's all it's all amazing and uplifting, and that story is finally revealed at the end of the play. And I'm not sure what to make of it because in my first experience of the play I was expecting eventually to learn that Montrellis' story was not nearly as heartwarming as everybody imagines it is throughout the play because of course throughout the play they're all like wonder what he did to serve time it probably is something amazing maybe he intended to go to prison to fight the complex from within because he's you know this sort of figure of of, of justice and restorative power in communities and things like that and so my expectation which was viable it brilliantly by Lynn Nottage was that oh i think we're going to learn maybe it's not as great as we thought and that was going to be sort of part of the story of this play even Montrellis who did this thing can can become the person he is today but no it turns out it's it's exactly as inspirational and uplifting <laughs> as you think it is
0: yeah <laughs> Yeah, and it actually like connects directly to the stand that they all take at the end because he the 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 phrase that he uses at the end of his story is something along the lines of "you all could do like they say we could never do something like that." It's like no, you could. You just have to figure out what you're gonna do when the hard choices hit. Um, and and the the kind of relish scene becomes the hard choice for them to try to try try out this this new viewpoint of theirs that they just got as a result of his story.
1: And. I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into this because you and I come from, a, like, a Judeo-Christian system where we live. It's also like, if the whole metaphor of the play is purgatory, is this competition, Clyde is a sort of devilish figure, maybe sold her Soul soul, sets things on fire, Montrellis is the sort of competing figure. I mean, Montrellis' story is like... As Christological as it gets. I mean, it's it's like it's full on Aslan, right? It's like, oh yeah, the Christ metaphor in there is uh, is not hard to miss, right? I mean, he literally takes on the sin of an innocent man <laughs> and suffers the penalty. <laughs> <laughs> right, so it's like I, I, as we, you look, you sort of pick apart, not pick apart in a bad way, but just sort of untangle the threads of this, uh, heaven, hell, supernatural, purgatory, competition, sort of metaphor that Lynn Nottage is using. Montrellis reveals his story at the end, and it's like, it's like full on Jesus. <laughs>
0: definitely there's a lot of self-sacrifice in there i think i think probably montrellis would would align a little bit more with maybe the buddhist uh self-sacrifice <laughs> line of thought um but but yeah absolutely there is this like full-on um uh, uh l- laying down of you, what, what what you have uh for the betterment of an, of another um and uh that and that kind of proceeds into the laying down i don't know if if, if it's exactly well it, again then Montrellis is the first one to lay down his job with the hope that these that the rest of them will find their way out of here as well so it does definitely um carry through his his character all the way to his leading them out of this limbo state
1: Yeah, and it's... He he seems to be in there with them in some way in this purgatory state because his exit matters at the end and yet he is also clearly the competing figure with Clyde. This if you're you know if you're thinking about it in like old uh, Looney Tunes cartoons right he's the angel on your shoulder to Clyde's devil on your shoulder and they very much whisper into the ears of the characters to try to to pull them one way or the other. So it is a it's an interesting he's a very interesting figure to me because of he's both with them in it and the thing pulling them along out of it. Yeah. As
0: far as status goes, um, in, in the play, he's the only one that really challenges any of Clyde's status. Occasionally some characters no, I don't stand think up that's to true. Clyde.
1: Yeah? Yeah, I think it's important that Jason does. That is one of the things that sets Jason apart from some of the other people in the kitchen. I Sorry, I just hit my mic if you heard a bang. It, <laughs> it, I was just so excited. <laughs> it's one of the, you know, <laughs> as the stranger comes to town, right? The stranger brings something new. And I think one of the things that Jason brings new is that he does stand up to Clyde in a way that the other people in the kitchen really admire. He has several... Confrontations with Clyde that the other people go, wow, I've never seen Clyde react like that. He stands up to her, and says, "Why are you treating us so poorly? What's the purpose? You offer incarcerated people this job, and then we come in, and you're a formerly incarcerated person too, so you know how hard this is, and all you do is make it harder. What are you doing?" And all, do, oh my gosh, you've you've never had, we've never seen that reaction come out of her. So I I actually think that Jason being another. Uh, having those moments of competition, of conflict, of confrontation with Clyde is super important to what makes him the stranger coming to town, the sort of central figure uh, that, that is, is that we're following. I mean, it's an ensemble show, but if you had to pick one.
0: Yeah for sure I, I, I agree with that I agree that his kind of standing up to her Frequently in the play Is an is a inter, uh, integral part of the show Um, I think uh, there's only one Scene though that I see Clyde Lose any sort of status as a result Of it though as far as like the, the Character with the most power in the scene uh, Clyde Clyde often There's one scene in particular where, where Jason says something very particular To her and Clyde like can't doesn't have an answer Back has to reset and leave the room And that's a very impactful scene because it doesn't happen almost any other time in the show. <laughs> the other uh, but I think the person who like carries the moral weight or the 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 just the just the ability to like hold gravity for these characters is Mon- Montrellis. Um uh and and like can can kind of stand toe to toe or across from Clyde. I think of the original scene where, where he's kind of sharing the story and there's almost like some sort of connection with them um, wondering around their connection to each other. Cause later on Clyde is somewhat dismayed at the, the revelation that Montrellis is in fact married outside of this (laughs) restaurant um, and, and has a relationship there. So I think there is, there's, there's some element of, of uh, Montrellis that holds that same, gravitational weight in the scene in a different way than 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 the other characters do
1: No, certainly. And it is, they're competing views for the restaurant. I mean, we talk about metaphors and there's just layers and layers of metaphor because that's who Lynn Nottage is in her layer, I mean, in her incredible genius. And so, you know, another, there's the sandwich metaphor, there's the purgatory metaphor, there's all these things. (laughs) And again, one of them is the metaphor of Clyde's The Restaurant. What is it going to be? And that is the place where Montrellis and Clyde have the most... Um, they have really competing views that become really clear, right? For Clyde, this is a a way to save her own soul, sort of. It is, I'm going to keep my head down, take the payoffs I'm getting from the cartel, question mark. Uh, But I I don't care. It's a truck stop. It's grimy. People come in, I'm going to serve them slop, and they're just going to pay me and go. I don't care about any of this. I don't care about any of you. It's just a way to get by. And Metrellis has a dream set up from the very beginning of the show that this is going to become uh, something that, that people can be proud of, a, a, an A-plus sandwich place where people are made better, where people are served soul-healing food, where the community can be restored. He talks a lot about it being a place that these, but this particular group of folks can work hard at, pour their heart into, elevate it, and be something that they're proud of doing and those are two mutually exclusive views and i mean it is fascinating that in terms of how the play ends uh it's not like montrellis wins that battle i mean they leave
0: yeah yeah he has he has a scene with uh jason where jason asks him point blank like do you think that this place can become what we hope it to be and he says yes it can will it I, I don't I don't see that necessarily happening or I do, I'm not sure if that can happen with the way that Clyde has chosen to run it. So um, so, yeah, there is that kind of like, well, maybe this place won't be what we always hoped it would, but maybe we can be the same people, whether we're in this place or not, um, that, that we were hoping to to kind of be in that world that we envisioned together.
1: I think that's all the time we've got for Clyde's today. Uh, Delightful script, funny, heartwarming, uplifting, but also uh, really uh, in, in the way that Lynn Nottage does, holds that magnifying glass up to... The, the people in society who are mistreated and judged, who have a, a sort of brand on them coming out of uh, the prison industrial complex, and Lynn Nottage says, uh, what happens if you give your heart to these people for this time? What if you are offered a look into the challenges of their life? What if you are given the chance for some empathy? Uh, how does that change? I think I've said this already, but how does that change your politics, your beliefs, how does that change the way you're going to live your life if you see inside of the news stories, if you see inside of the stereotypes, if you see inside of your own fear for your community's safety?
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you spend some time with these characters and perhaps more so than than many of the scripts that we do, seeing this play is a great is a, is, a, is an awesome thing because <laughs> you get to actually be in the room with these characters and hear their stories Um and so when you do that we'd love to keep chatting with you about this uh, particular script whether uh, you get the chance to go to one of the regional houses that are hopefully doing it near you um, or uh, are just reading the script have been in the play before want to chat with someone after this conversation we would love to be those people that get to continue having this conversation about Clyde's with you you can find us on Facebook Instagram or Twitter at the username at no script podcast we also have a gmail no script podcast at gmail.com we also have Patreon and you can chat with us over there if you want to become a patron of the show you can find us on any of those sites we'd love to keep talking about Clydes with all of you
1: Absolutely. If you've liked this episode or any of our other episodes across 10 full seasons and now beginning 11, please send your family and friends our way. Tell them about NoScript, recommend the podcast. Anybody you know that likes stories, theater, scripts, just talking about great writing, please send them our way. They can find us at Podbean where we're hosted, but also more commonly at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Uh, We're on YouTube, all of your other favorite podcast spots. Find us there for the technologically challenged folks in your life if they've got a facebook account they can listen to the episode just like us on facebook and a new episode will appear in the feed every monday when we're published you can click it it'll play right from there so check us out on facebook until next week when we're back with another episode about another great play i'm jacob man christensen
0: and i'm jackson Nikolai. thanks for listening to no script the podcast